The Cal Halbert Podcast. Hello, friends. Thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode of the Cal Halbert Podcast. My guest this week is the one and only Mr. Joe McKeldry. Now, we best know Joe as one of the winners of The X Factor. And not only that, he's done so many things as well, from becoming an opera singer, and he's done Joseph in his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. He managed to fit me in into his ridiculously busy schedule. He's a hell of a guy. He's a really, really nice guy. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. Now, before we get into the podcast, there's something I want to tell you about as well. Now, we all know that live theatre is back and it's COVID secure. So this summer at the Playhouse Whitley Bay, you can see me, Cal Halbert, I know I want to drop my name in there, alongside Todd Carty. Now, Todd Carty's from uh, The Bill, he's from Dancing on Ice, he's from Grange Hill, he's done so many things, EastEnders, and there's a whole host of uh, incredible performers in Treasure Island this summer at the uh, Playhouse Whitley Bay. It runs from the 18th to the 22nd of August, and you can book your tickets online at playhousewhitleybay.co.uk. So if you just please support all your local venues, uh, and let's get back to, to the live shows and stuff. So if you can't make the show, that's absolutely fine. I understand there are listeners. Uh, actually, I've looked at this. There's listeners all over the world. How amazing is that? So thank you if, you if you're not listening. If you're in the Northeast, please come see me at Whitley Bay. I'll even come and say hello to you at the stage door afterwards. But if not, please support your local theatre. Right, let's get into this interview with Mr. Joe McKeldry. The Cal Halbert Podcast. Well, I'm very pleased to say that on the show today, on the Cal Halbert podcast, I've got the one, the only, the exceptional, the wonderful, the glamorous, Mr. Joe McKeldry. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. You're looking very well, well sunned. Do you know what? I, I mean, I've been, I've been up in Scotland for two weeks camping and it was boiling hot weather. <laughs> Didn't expect it to be hot. And then obviously I've come home and we've got this like incredible... Heatwave, which I suppose is consolation for the fact that nobody can kind of go anywhere. So somebody's <laughs> looking down on us somewhere, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm taking advantage. Despite being locked in a padded cell for a couple of hours today, I'm going to be in the sunshine, I think. I've just got to be careful I don't burn my bowl patch again. That's, that's yeah. all I'm going to be doing. <laughs> I never knew I had a bowl patch until I burnt it. So that's uh, a kind of... <laughs> well, you learn something new every day. Well, that's... <laughs> That's very, very true. <laughs> well, Joe, we best know you as a singer and you were the winner of the sixth series of The X Factor. Uh, had you always wanted to be a singer? I, I didn't, you know, actually. I mean, I was always fascinated by the world of show business and I loved going to watch pantomimes when I was younger. And that was like the... I, I used to always sit and watch things and think, oh, I wonder what it's like backstage and yeah. the magic of it all. Um, but I was terrified to perform in front of an audience, probably until I was about... 14 or 15 and then up until that point I wanted to be a paramedic yeah. um and I kind of still wanted to do even when my passion for singing started to trickle in and then I got to about the age of 16 and I was doing A-levels at a local college near where I live and it just hit us one day I was like you know what I've decided I'm just not an academic person <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully Quite quickly after that, I won the X Factor, so it worked out quite well. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I was fascinated by medicine and hospitals and still am, to be honest. Like, I, I did my work experience there and I find it all very interesting. But um, I, have the atten- I have the attention span of a gnat, so <laughs> the creative life works for me. <laughs> 
But you you still have that passion for for the NHS and being a paramedic and stuff because the amount of charity work you've done for the NHS and through the lockdowns you were singing it was it South Tyneside Hospital that you were outside of. Yeah, um, I think that was one of the first Clap for Carers events. Yes. Um, I secretly went down and uh, we had to keep it all hushed because obviously I didn't want anybody to congregate outside and cause yeah. you know any negative publicity. For- for the incredible job that we're doing. But um, yeah, a friend of mine who worked there said, um, is there any chance you can do anything or even send a video message? And I said, listen, I I don't want to put anybody at risk, but I'm happy to come down and stand outside and sing a song if they want. If it's it's too dangerous and it's not safe, then fine. Um, But they set it all up so that we could go down and I had to take all of my own PA system, which I haven't (laughs) done since. I haven't done that since I was um, singing many, many years ago at charity events when I was about 15. So off I wheeled through South Tyneside Hospital car park with a, um, with a, a portable speaker. I thought, wow, how times have changed in the pandemic. <laughs> it's gone full circle. I'm back to bus yeah. This is what happened. <laughs> I think it's, but you know, it's interesting because I think, I, I think our industry has obviously took a, one of the biggest batterings ever. And I think the industry, it has gone full circle circle for a lot of people you know I've been fortunate enough to have incredible success over the last 12 years and you know in 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 an instance as it has for everybody else you know and everybody's obviously on different journeys in in the world of show business and life but um you know it's it's kind of just stopped everybody so it 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 has come full circle because I think it's taken people back to a lot of a more kind of innocent time before maybe their careers kicked off and you were on that treadmill of constantly doing stuff you know it's been a it's been a really interesting time of reflection for me um some good and some bad but it's just been strange because i think it's it's kind of just gone oomph and brought everybody (laughs) down to like one level of stop do you know what i mean yeah crazy it is is interesting isn't it because obviously my industry is comedy it's still show business but i'm stand-up so it's it, it kind of. I'm speaking to a couple of stand-ups and our, and our mutual friend Stefan Petty as well. When we were at, uh, we did a show a couple of weeks ago at the Tyne Theatre in Newcastle for uh, NHS workers and stuff. And I was saying to Stefan, I said, you know, I think by us all having that sort of warmth and level playing field, it's made a lot of people realise they wanted out and they didn't know, you know, because it's a very difficult thing to be if you are just a performer and you that's all you do and you don't realise that you want out until. You kind of stop because it is a very difficult thing. If if this is all you do, you've got no backup plan. Do you know? <laughs> so with- I think people, I think you know, speaking to a lot of friends who who I work with in the industry, especially in the kind of musical theatre side of the industry, you know, a lot of them, it, it's already an uncertain industry, you know, and it already comes with a lot of chat. It's a wonderful industry, and you know, I'm very blessed that I've had a lot of wonderful opportunities. So, and I, and I don't want to kind of put a dampener on that, but um. You know, I think a lot of speaking to a lot of my friends, you know, they say that it's already an uncertain industry when something like this happens. You realise how throwaway the job is, you know, and um, and it's kind of the first industry to go. So I think I think you're right. You know, a lot of people have just thought I can't I already deal with this on on, in a normal working environment, (laughs) never mind in the middle of a pandemic, you know. So, um, yeah, and it it is a tough industry. I think you, you have to. You have to absolutely love it. You have to love, and I always say that to people. You know, um, I, I, I don't think we talk about failure enough. You know, and especially in 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 my side of work, you know, um, I think it's slowly starting to change, and people are starting to kind of talk about failure because 
um, before it was kind of always just making everything look like it was always wonderful all of the time and yeah. everything yeah. was super successful and great. And unfortunately, that's not how life works, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've, I always say this, you know, I've said this on a few podcasts recently when I've been talking to people about things. I've learned so much more from things that have gone wrong in my career than the things that have gone well. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you don't learn, you don't grow from things doing well. You grow from them not working and thinking, right, okay, what do we have to do here? Where do we go next? And yeah. so um, I think it's good that people are starting to talk about that and talk about the downsides of the industry as well, you know, because it it helps younger people going into it know, you know, well, to try and not make the same mistakes or get trapped into the same things that happen, you know. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, you say that about before when you said you always want to know what was going on in the dressing rooms and stuff. And as you say, everything looks great from us. We're going, oh, everything's going brilliantly. And there is that side of sort of struggle and stuff. Because people say to me, I tell you what, the green rooms with the comedians must be hilarious. And you go, no, it's quite boring, actually. We're, we're all sat there talking about which way do we get to the gig and where the roadworks are and which way to avoid going home. It's a really boring green room. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a... Um, it's it's funny, isn't it? Everybody has an image and an idea of what it, what what behind the stage is, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think people forget, and so they should forget, because theatre and entertainment and concerts—it's an escapism for somebody. So, yeah. and they, they we provide that magical part on stage that they get to see, and it's wonderful. But I think a lot of people do forget that it's it's a working environment. Like it's it's you know it is very different to an office job. But it's the same thing of like everything's going on like it would happen in an office. It's just maybe a bit more, probably a bit more hectic and crazy, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, And I think also that my partner, sometimes I need to remind him that my working hours are different. You know, that's that's how it is. Yeah. So, you know, when you leave for work at quarter to nine or whatever time it is, I don't know, I'm very rarely awake at that time. So it's uh, I just he goes off to work and I sit there and I think. He all he ever does is see me lying in bed when he goes to work, and he just think he doesn't understand that I'm normally working till about half past one, two o'clock in the morning. Do you know, it's like they don't. I have, to, don't see I have that. to explain. I have to explain to friends sometimes when I go on holiday with them, um, because they they want to go on a holiday and like literally party till the cows come home, yeah. right? And for me, a holiday like my job is like. It, it is all of that. You know, it's like it's late nights. It's like you're tired. Like, you know, there's a party after the show or whatever. So I, I always say to my friends, like, who don't work in the industry, I'm like, just so you know, I probably will go to bed on holiday at about half past nine at night. Because that to me is like the most rewarding thing. <laughs> and they're like, what? They're like, we're in Greece or we're in, you know, wherever, America, we're in New York. Come on. But to me, like that, like I kind of go the complete opposite way when I'm on holiday. I'm like, it's time to just do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Oh, it's great. If I can book a gig and I know I'm going to be home by before midnight, I'm in. Do you know? <laughs> I'm doing that. <laughs> now, as I said, you were the winner of the sixth series of The X Factor. Um, tell me a bit about that process. Did you go and audition? Were you headhunted to come and audition? What sort of thing happened to, to for that? Well, they didn't really, uh, that was, I mean, we're, we're talking now nearly, it's nearly 13 years ago. Um, and they didn't really headhunt then yeah. on that show. I know recently they do them kind of things where they go to performing art schools and look, it's more of a kind of reaching out audition process. But it, when when I went on the show, it was literally, you sent an application for me and you had to wait to be accepted. Yeah. You then went, to, um, I went to Manchester Stadium, Old Trafford, and uh, stood with 60,000 people in the stadium wow. and 
whittled down to that point and three auditions before you even get to see the judges. Um, so it was very much, a, you know, I, I sat in Manchester Stadium and thought, I, I actually said to me, ma'am, let's just go home because this is ridiculous. I'm never <laughs> going to get through. Um, because you don't think you will, you know, you just yeah. think it, it, this will be a nice experience to talk about in five years' time. Little did I know what was about to come. It was a, but it, you know, I've got very fond memories of the show. Um, and one thing, like, you know, going back to like the last year, certainly, I feel like it's been recently, it's probably been the first time in 12 years where I've actually been able to digest everything that's happened over the 12 years. I've yeah. never in my life had, well, work and life had time like this to just sit and stop and think, you know, and it's been, um, it's been like, I've, I've remembered things that I completely had forgot had even happened, you know, and you go, yeah. Oh my God, like it's, just, I think when your brain has time to just go, ah, I'm calm. Um, <laughs> you, you remember things. So it, it's been nice to kind of reminisce and think over the last 12 years. Cause, um, it's been wonderful. I've had a wonderful time. And 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 I suppose the positive for me is that I'm excited to go back out there and do it. So it, it can't have been that bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I asked this to, to a friend of mine. So a friend of mine's a lost voice guy, Lee Ridley, who won Britain's Got Talent. And yeah. I asked him this, and I'm going to ask you the same question. At what point did you think, shit, I think I could win this? Um, I, well, I never thought I was going to win, but I did... I, I remember the exact moment where I thought I want to win yeah. because I went into the show and I was very much, um, I was very much just a fan of the show, a huge fan of the show. And I was a teenager that was just like, I can't believe I'm in the X Factor studio with all of the judges and I'm here and I've watched it on telly for years and all of my idols have come off the show. And you know that I, I was I, all the time. I was just like, I can't believe I'm here and I'm really excited um, and uh, every week I just used to set myself a little goal. So I'd go, you know, for week one, well, as long as I'm not the first person to go. Yeah. And then it would get to week two and then I'd go, well, I'd like to make it to week three because I know that that's going to be Whitney Houston week or whatever the theme was. Yeah. Um, and then I remember the goalpost for me was you had to get a week five to be included on the X Factor tour. Right. Um, so I thought if I get a week five, then I can do the tour. I can play all of the amazing arenas across the country that I've always wanted to play in. Um, and then it got, I think it was the week I sang George Michael, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Yeah. And um, it so that would have been, I think it might have been like the semi final or the quarter final. And uh, well, actually, no, it must have been the, the semi final. Um, so it might not have been that song. I can't remember. It's, it's, <laughs> um, and I remember it was 12 I saw years mama, ago, Joe. It's yeah, all right. Exactly. I'll forgive you. <laughs> yeah, I, saw, um, I saw my mom after the show and she went, Well, it doesn't matter now. She went, because you've made it to the end. So whatever happens. And I remember I looked and I went, no, 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 no. I want to win now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I've come all this way now and I've done little goals along the way. So the last goal on the checklist was like, well, now you have to win it. You know that. <laughs> um, but I still, but even in the moment, you know, even in the moment of the final, I still never, ever, um, I never, ever thought I was going to win. There was a really funny, um, it's really funny because, you live in such a bubble in the show. Um, and obviously, at, me mom and everyone was coming down to the show and they were saying, you you won't believe the support that you're getting from the Northeast. It's absolutely huge. But obviously, down in London, we're in a studio with 600 people yeah. in the studio. So, like, not a lot of people from the Northeast can get down to that studio. It was quite a Southern, heavy audience, you know, 
Um, so a, a lot of like the the people who lived near there, like you know, obviously, um, like Daniel, Stacy, Ollie, they were all from like the surrounding areas of London, Essex, Surrey. All of their friends and family could get there because it wasn't miles away. Of course. Yeah. So in in the room, it was very much like their local support networks were in that room. So I lived in a bubble of thinking. Well, everybody loves them and like everybody's kind of, but unbeknown to me, I, I, you know, I mean, mom kept coming down going, honestly, Joe, I can't describe to you how mental the Northeast is going. Like, it's ridiculous. So um, we lived in a bubble. So on the final night, you know, like all of Ollie's family and friends and Stacey's family and friends, you know, they were all like chanting their names and everything. And then I remember they did that link, you know, where they where they go back to your hometown um, and I remember they showed the footage, I think it was Kimberly Walsh was presenting it, and it was the local leisure centre. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, like, OK, <laughs> I might be with the chance then. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny, isn't it? You say you're you're in that bubble and then regardless of whether you win or not, you're going to be doing the tours of the shows of saying, like, you're going to be on this morning, you're going to do Good Morning Britain, you're going to do Loose Women, you're going to do all these things. And then so suddenly, once kind of that show, that year stops, they're then on to the next year and they kind of go, right, well, you're you're on your own now to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Is, is that a difficult transition period? I think, I, I think if you understand it and you actually see it for what it is, then it's not, which I think is the problem that a lot of people have with it. Um, I had kind of, I had kind of saw that that was happening Um and I also wasn't happy with the people that I was working with at the time anyways. Right. So it almost was a kind of a level for me to then just go, actually, do you know what? I'm just going to move on to something else. I also was in the process of a load of other opportunities so that the, the transition period was tough yeah. in terms of dealing with the business side behind the scenes. But on camera and on screen, I'd gone on to do um, Pops at Opera Store. I'd signed a new record deal. So, so the work side of things was like, fine it was more dealing with the impacts of it all behind the scenes that was difficult um so i think people probably view it as oh well it was fine because you you signed a new record deal very quickly but the process without going into too much detail about it but the process of dealing with that behind the scenes is like is a is a pain in the backside yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it must be so it must be really difficult though to get to the point where you can't just go to the shop and get some milk without being hassled constantly. And don't get me wrong, me and Alfie, when we did Britain's Got Talent and stuff, we had a bit of that. So we were, me and Alfie, Joey, we were going out and we'd, we we would get spotted when we were together more than when we were separated because obviously we're a double yeah. act. It's it's the more the rec recognition that people have. And yeah. don't get me wrong, I love and I appreciate every single person that comes to my shows and I appreciate every single person. I will make time for as many people as I can. However, there is a point where you just go, I just want some fucking milk. Do you know? It's, <laughs> please just leave me alone. <laughs> you know what really, I get really what I get really annoyed about is that I always get recognized when I look terrible. <laughs> so, so when I'm dressed up and I look what I think is great, <laughs> um, I never get recognized. But when my hair's all over the place and I've got a horrible outfit on. I get stopped all the time. I sent my friend the other day. I can't remember where we were now. Now, obviously, like life is slowly resuming again. I can't remember where I, where I was. And I, 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 maybe I was, 
I think I'd been working somewhere and we're driving back from somewhere. I can't remember. But um, I looked dreadful anyways. It was all over the place. Like, just had jumped straight in the car in the morning to get to the next place I was going. And I must have got stopped by, like, quite a few people. It was in a service station. And then somewhere else, um, I think we'd, we'd run into a supermarket somewhere. And I said, you know, it really annoys me because I looked really nice yesterday. Nobody stopped us. <laughs> And now I'm just in my scruff clothes for traveling. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't think you. I don't think you ever. Um, that I don't think that ever becomes normal. Um, it's a. It's a. It's a strange thing. Um, and obviously, like depending on what you're doing at the time, if you're like on television doing stuff, or you know, when I film the reality TV shows and you're in people's faces every day, then it's a lot more intense. If you're touring with something and your posters are all over the city or whatever, it's um. Yeah, it it it's kind of it, it it's different realms of it all the time, and it's you never really, it, you know, it, it is a strange thing, yeah. and you I try just not to pay too much attention to that actually, because I mean, when you think about it, it gets a little bit overwhelming. I think. Yeah, you mentioned it before the pop star to opera star. So not only did you win the X Factor, Joe, but you did win pop star to uh, opera star and also the jump as well. Uh, so. I've I've seen you. I to be honest with you, I'd never really thought about you being an opera singer until a few weeks ago. Where I knew you were a great singer, but then you did uh, Ness and Dorma at uh, yeah. the Time Theatre, and it like the hair on the back of my neck was standing up. It was incredible, and I just oh, thought, how the hell? Because uh, I don't want to insult you, Joe. You're not a big bloke, right? Okay, you <laughs> you're, you're not the biggest bloke in the world, all right? Okay, and I was like, how? hell has he got lungs like that to be able to reach this it's it was mind-blowing oh thank you that's very kind um <laughs> uh, to be honest with you i don't really know is the answer um <laughs> I, I keep saying i've said this many times over the years I, I i have to be completely honest and say i absolutely did pop star opera star as a bit of fun and as a joke to be honest i thought it would be I, honestly when they asked us to do it i thought this will just show us in a different light. It'll be really funny because I won't be able to do it. And <laughs> I genuinely did. And, and as we got through the show, I was like, oh, my God, I really enjoy this. And um, I, I, But I don't know. I still don't. And, you know, people people say all the time, how do you go from singing a pop song to that song? And I find it actually, once they taught us the technique of how to do it and the breathing techniques and the position of where your jaw has to go and all of that kind of stuff, I find it really easy. Um not easy to sing, but I find the the transition of it really enjoyable and and um I like I, I love singing it. It it feels really great to do it. It's um you know it's it's stressful because <laughs> those songs come with great expectations. So yes. um it certainly keeps us on my toes. You know, there's never a night when I sing this in Doma where I am not like panicking all the way through being like, this is the one song that you cannot mess up. Yes. So, um, you will never so live this with, down if you ruin this song. <laughs> yeah. It comes with pressure, but um, I do thrive off the pressure a little bit. So I enjoy singing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in 2015, you went and starred in my favourite musical of all time, uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. How did that come about? Did they approach you? Did you go for an audition? How? What was the process behind that? Because I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit jealous of it. I'm a bit jealous. I know all the colours, and I really wanted to do that. <laughs> uh, it's it's such. I actually went to see um, the London version three nights ago um, down in the West End, and it was it's one of those shows where you just 
the soon as the music starts, you just go, oh, yeah. like it just makes you feel good. Um, so I, when when you come off a show like X Factor, well, you know as well, Britain's Got Talent, X Factor, all those kind of things, you know, opportunities do because of the platform fly in very quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so pretty much from the get go, I think because Simon had said something on one of the weeks, like, oh, you. You, um, you've got very a lot of hints of musical theatre or something. Try to use it as an insult, which was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> like, some of the most talented people who I've ever worked with are musical theatre performers and, you know, like perform every single night. Yeah. Like incredible performances. And I'm like... Yeah, eight shows so a week. Done. Trying to give that? <laughs> I remember when he said it at the time, I remember thinking, I mean, if you think that that's an insult, then more fool you. Like, yeah. whatever. Anyways. Um, and so pretty much soon after the show, I got quite a lot of offers to do musical theatre shows, but I was trying to establish myself as a solo artist and didn't really have the time in the diary to give like six months at that point in time, you know, because obviously I hadn't even released an album, you know, I hadn't done a solo tour. I was building a fan base and, and I felt to, to come straight off the show and go into a show where I wouldn't be able to do anything else. Um, would be quite limiting, you know, yeah. because I, I I wanted to establish myself as a solo artist and then be able to experience those things. So um, I'd been asked to do Joseph a few times and then it was literally just a timing thing. They just contacted and said, listen, we'd love to have another conversation about you playing the role of Joseph. And I thought, yeah, all right, let's give it a go. Let's try it. Let's see what... Um, how I get on. So I'd originally planned to do six months of the show, yeah. which I did. I finished it. I went and I, I went and did other things for six months. And they said, would you come back again? Um, and so I did, I went back again, which it then ended up being like six months and then in like kind of a, a year really. Yeah. But I, it was the best two years ever. Um, I loved it. And I actually loved it 10 times more than I thought I was going to love it. Um, which was even more special, I think, because I knew I would have fun and I would make the best of it and and make it like a wonderful experience. But some of my fondest working moments are working. I mean, some of my best friends, I've got five very, very close friends from that show who are my best friends now that um, we all met on that show. And just like being on tour with your five best mates was just every day, like, you know, all over the place. You know, we went on a holiday together. Um, and we're still, you know, I was with them last week. Um, you know, we're still really, really close friends. So, like, personally and professionally, it was wonderful in both ways. You know. Yeah, I believe there was a. I, forgive me if, if, to the reviewer. I can't remember the, his name, but it was in the stage, and it said that your rendition of "Close Every Door" was the best he's ever heard. Am I right in that? I'm. I'm all, I can't remember the name of the the, the yeah, review, but it was I mean, in the stage. Yeah, I, it's it's funny, isn't it? Like with reviews and. I, I suppose you'll probably understand this as well. It, you you always are like taught as a performer, aren't you? Like to never really pay attention to them in the sense of that, even if you get a good one, don't get too arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And if you get a bad one, oh, it's a load of rubbish, ignore it. So yeah. I've always tried to stay in that um, headspace. And I remember when when the reviewer came and they said, um, there's a reviewer coming from the stage. Um, and if, I remember, because it was my first kind of professional musical, I didn't really... I mean, people do review pop concerts, but it's not so much a thing to to, to get a bad review from a pop concert. It's not really the same kind of thing as a yeah. bad review yeah. on a press night of a musical. It's a different kind of thing. Of course. Yeah. Um, 
and because your your best review when you do your own shows is from your audience and the, the fans that come to see the shows and the clips they put on social media or whatever. Um, and I remember the cast were like, oh, my God, I can't believe somebody's coming from the stage. I hope they like it. And I, I remember it being a big thing. Um, and you just and I, shake it off going, ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like, well, you know what? It's fine. <laughs> um, we know everybody loves it show anyways. <laughs> um, but yeah, to have somebody say that, you know, who's seen, obviously, loads of people play the role, um, it, was a, it was a huge compliment, you know. Um, and I suppose... You can always say, I can, maybe I can put that on my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you steal the coat, though? Did you keep, because I know Philip Schofield nipped allowed, his. I wasn't allowed my coat. Um, which, well, uh, that's not okay. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, to be honest with you, I'd wore it that much. I was like, do you know what? <laughs> you can keep it. Yeah, it stinks. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's funny, the, the version that we did, the actual coat at the end is is gold and then all of the colours attached to it. So it without the colours attached to it and the big finale piece that we do, it kind of looked like a, a vintage Oscar dress. So I thought people, <laughs> people will come to my house and they'll be like, why, why has he got a dress in his wardrobe? Um, that looks like something from like 1960s Hollywood. So, um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, they wouldn't let us keep it because um, it was obviously going back on the road and yeah. But they had made the coat for me. I was like, surely you could just make a coat for somebody else, but hey yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I, I think I'd just steal it. Deal with the lawsuit later. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where it's gone. I don't know. Opening the front. I'd be wearing it all day as well. I'd just be walking around with it. Because a, a friend of mine, uh, he's in a, a Queen tribute band, and uh, he's he's the drummer, and the guy they've got who plays Freddie is exceptional. He He's Freddie. You know, it's just, you go, he's perfect. And he has this this huge... Uh, leather jacket, the yellow jacket style, and they say they, say they have to put it into a suitcase within a suitcase because it stinks. Because it's just because it's awful. It gets yeah. its own dressing room. Because he obviously, you, if you're Freddie, you're going to be running about and being Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Do you know, he goes, but did, the jacket was awful. We did that. We did that show ten times a week. Wow, every week for six months. So you can imagine. But we had a lovely team of uh, the wardrobe team on Joseph were very good at keeping things very fresh and clean but um <laughs> yeah it's the costumes it's funny isn't it like when you wear a costume like people have the, the image of the costume attached to it but for you it's like you never want to put it on again it's really strange <laughs> <laughs> you know, not in a horrible way it's just like you associate it with like blood sweat and tears of yeah. like getting through the show you know Hard so um, work, yeah yeah it's um <laughs> I've got quite a few of my costumes from like tours and stuff over the years. And when you, I can literally look at something and be like, I know exactly how I felt in that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's the same for, for, for singers and uh, people in musical theatre and stuff, but I have certain like little rituals that I'm, I'm not okay with and I get really het up about. Like something as petty as going on stage with a new watch. I, I always, that's playing on my mind. I can't gig in new shoes oh, really? as well. I can't do these things. So I have to, if I buy a pair of shoes and go, they'll look great on stage, I have to walk around in these shoes and break them in because I can't gig in new shoes. I don't know what it is. It's so petty and pathetic. But it, do you have anything like that? I, I deliberately don't have anything like that for that very reason. Because <laughs> I know that, I know that like um, it happened, it happened quite early on. I used to have a, I used to have a necklace that I was given by somebody. I used to wear it on stage. Um, and I remember the night I lost it, 
I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have a bad show. I'm on a bad show. It's going to be terrible. And it was probably just coincidence that it was, it was nothing to do with the necklace. Yeah. Um, and after that, I never found the necklace. Um, and after that, I was like, never again. So I never have any, I've worked with a lot of people over the years who have superstitions of like touching the stage and they have to say good luck to everyone and all of this stuff. And I try and stay away from it because I'm like, it can really, it's a lot of it is psychological and you have oh, to yeah. really, you know, when it's repetition. I always think it's repetition as well. Um, pe- pe- repetition can really mess your head up in the sense of like when make you think you don't know something because you know it so well. Yeah. Um, and I've had that before and I, 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 I have moments on tour and I'm like, stop. Like, just block it off. Don't even give it any airtime, you know? You're right there. It is all psychological because the audience don't care that I've got new shoes on. I mean, they probably don't know I've got new shoes on and I've got a a different watch on or something like that. But... In my head, all I'm going is this is this is going okay despite the new shoes. This is this yeah. is okay. <laughs> you the, guys... only thing I, the only thing I do do is um, on tour. I do high five all my musicians just before we start. And if I don't do that, but I feel like that's more of a, I, I think it's more of a like team thing of like we're all in it together, yeah. you know. And it, it's um, it's that sort of boost, isn't it? It's like come on, lads, let's get this done. Sort of thing, yeah. you know. It's uh, let's do a great show. I don't think that's uh, yeah that yeah that that's just, that's just team spirit that joe you're doing a good yeah, job there <laughs> yeah and i think you know if we're if we're if we're in the middle if we're midway through quite a hectic schedule of shows or whatever and everybody's flagging a bit it's like come on you know like the little pep talk before we go um and yeah so that's the only thing i do do i know you're booked to do uh the christmas panto here in newcastle the theater royal um which is a spectacular show. I've, I've, I've been to see their shows numerous times, um, and I think they're absolutely wonderful. Have you done any panto before? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done... Um, this will be my seventh seventh one, so I, I've done them all over, all over the place, actually. So I was in Birmingham, um, the Hippodrome, just before we went into lockdown. Um, I, I keep saying last year. It was the year before now, wasn't it? <laughs> been going on that long. Um and uh, so, yeah, that was kind of the last stage thing that I did. Um, so we finished that in on the 5th of February and within about a month it, we were in lockdown. So, um, yeah. yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've always wanted to do it at Newcastle. Obviously, I grew up um, going to the theatre. I love the venue. It's a beautiful venue. Stunning, and it's the same it? team, It's the same production team that I always work with um, in the panels that I've done. So I'm thrilled. I mean, obviously, we were all... It, it's ironic, isn't it? I've, I've wished to be able to work near my house and have such a small commute for so so long and the one time that i'm going to do it is when i've been stuck in my house for <laughs> nearly two years <laughs> well my first panto was at a theater that's very close to your heart the customs house so i worked with ray spencer i did the lampton worm uh there and i know you you you're very fond and it's very important to you the customs house um and am i right in thinking were you not were you in the kitchens there to begin with? I, yeah, I used, to, I used to wash the dishes. Yeah, yeah I used yeah, to wash yeah. the dishes. Um, I was the kind of singing, singing waiter. I used to wash the dishes. I used to serve people. I used to do little mini concerts with some of the other staff who worked there. Um, and I just love it. You know, I, I grew up there going to see the pantomimes there. Um, and I just think it's such a great theatre and such a, such a hub of community spirit. Um, we've been doing, we did a couple of social distance shows there. Yes. Um at the beginning of when these restrictions were eased and we're going back on the 31st of July and 1st of August for four shows. Fantastic. And um, 
yeah, I, I, it's I, I really love that venue. I always go there when I'm on tour. We always play a show. We always do a show in Newcastle and then a show in South Shields as well. I just think local theatre, and I think now more than ever, is such an important um, place. And I keep stressing this to people all the time, not just for performers. Yeah, There's so much more that goes on in a theatre, you know, from from like the, the staff in the cafes, the staff in the bars, the box office people, the community centres that some of them are used for, for, you know, youth clubs and, yeah. um, you know, and uh, like... Uh, that's that's so important. So um, I always try and support them where I can. That's amazing, absolutely amazing. And and I, I do love the the customs house. I think it's a beautiful theatre. And I, I'll always be indebted to Ray Spencer for giving me that first opportunity, which he has done to numerous people and given them so much help. He's a lovely, lovely man as well. Uh, you're the first X Factor contestant to release four albums, and you've over two million copies and have been sold and stuff and. How do you go about releasing a new album? Do you go in thinking this is the sort of style I want to go for? Do you just go in with a blank page? Do you go in thinking, right, I want to write a song about this, I want to do this sort of style? Or do you just go in and go, right, let's just play about and see what happens? Well, it, it, I mean, obviously the first three albums, the first album was obviously off the back of X Factor. Um, and then the second album I did was off the back of Pops Art Opera Stars. So when, you're doing, when you've done stuff like that, I suppose like we knew with the, the classic album, when I released it, well, I released it a week after I won Pops on Upper Star. We recorded it within a week wow. and released it literally four days later, which was the most mind-blown experience yeah. I've ever gone through. Yeah. Um, well, for, for people but, that don't know, that's a ludicrous time frame to be able to get an album done. Yeah, I mean, we, we literally recorded two songs every day for wow. five days, shot a video on the Saturday. It got mastered on the Monday and it was out the following I think the Friday, maybe it was, wow. it was less than two weeks turnaround. It was, I've never done anything like it in my life, but it was great fun. Um, yeah. But we knew that that was going to be a concept album. So the songs were all picked around the fact that I'd done pop star at a star. My third album was a lot of kind of songwriting and original material. Um, and uh, that was the first time I'd been in writing sessions with writers. Yeah. And then obviously I did a Saturday Night at the Movies album, which was, again, was a concept album. So you kind of, when it's a concept album, it's a lot easier. Right. Because you know what the realms of what it's going to be and how it's going to sound and what you're, what they're, what you're aiming for, you know? Yeah. Um, and like, but for example, this year, you know, I released a new single in January called Baby Had Your Fun. And that was um, just what just literally went into a writing session with a friend of mine we've worked together over the years and I said I really want to write a fun breakup song that is not like I'm really sad yeah. that I've broken up with somebody so I'm gonna cry on my sofa you know so we kind of span it around about being like yes you're sad you know and you're upset and you feel dreadful like we all do when we're being dumped you know <laughs> <laughs> I've been dumped many times um <laughs> But we wanted to spin it like you're still going to go out. You're still going to have a good time. You're not going to let that person take everything away from you, you know. So, um, so yeah, so that like we had a method of how we were going to write it. Um, but it, uh, it completely changes on who you're working with. And I think now because albums kind of, which is a shame, you know, Streamings kind of took that element of albums away slightly as yeah. well, um, which is annoying in some senses. It's great that obviously your music's very accessible, but it's kind of took the way I think the way people view an album now, you know, they kind of cherry pick what, what songs they want to hear. Therefore the, the, 
the body of the album is then a little bit more difficult to make because if one person likes track one and track 10, they kind of skip between the two, you know, it's um, streaming's a a very, it's massively changed the industry. So we're, we're all kind of learned how to adapt a thing into that. I'm a big vinyl fan. So I I listen to a lot of albums on, on vinyl and stuff. And I think, streaming and cds certainly have done this thing where you can skip through whereas if you put an album on a vinyl it's very well you can do it but it's a pain in the backside yeah. to skip the track you may as well just listen to the whole album so i think you're yeah. right in that people do cherry pick and stuff and i believe a few years ago um ed sheeran had was it nine of the top 10 songs and he even he said this is ludicrous this isn't how it's supposed to work you know and, and it's simply down to the streaming yeah, you know, and a lot of artists now are releasing like 10 singles and then announcing the album and it's all the 10 singles that you've already heard, It's which is not a bad thing. It's just a completely different way now how it's yeah. done. Um, so it's a it's, it's it's a funny one, you know, like I, I'm working on new music at the minute. We've got some more stuff coming out soon. Um, and I suppose it takes the pressure off in the sense of having to deliver an album like instantly to somebody. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to kind of keep that, you know, do you include the songs that they've already heard? Some people do, some people don't. It's, it's kind of just mishmashed everything together. It's a it's a strange one. Yeah, it, it is. And one thing I've always thought about as well is certainly with your time on The X Factor, that is predominantly, it's covers that you're doing all the way through. So how difficult is it to do a cover but make it your own because there are certain parts of songs where you go we've well, got to keep that in from the original artist because it's perfect but you also don't want to just be a direct rip off of it so how difficult is it to make a cover song your own i think i, I think people get people think about it too much um i think if you're going to cover a song you cover the song and yeah. you cover it how you would cover it i think i think when people start to try and change the song so that it doesn't sound like the original anymore, then it's not, you're not covering the song. Yeah. You may as well just do a different song. Do you know what I mean? That's your own or whatever. Um, so I tend to always keep it within the realm of how it was originally made and produced Yeah. and just sing it how I would sing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's my interpretation of, of that version. So, um, I, but I think I try not to think about it too much and I try and just do my own interpretation, but um, it's, I, I, it's, it, yeah, it, it's you, you, you. I always think I never, I would never want to offend the artist. And I think if you always think like that, um, you know, I, I always try and just make it good so that if they heard it, they'd go, that doesn't sound terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned previously the amount of charity work and things you do. Uh, we actually first performed together at Sunday for Sammy. Yeah. Um, and Sunday for Sammy is an incredible event. It sells out the Newcastle Arena twice over, um, and it raises all sorts of money for people getting into um, theatre and helping people from less fortunate backgrounds and things like that. You've also done a charity single uh, with the Royal Mail Choir with uh, Abide With Me and things. So yeah. you're a very charitable person. Um, what do you What do you like about doing things like Sunday for Sammy? I just, well, I, I I love the the community spirit that that whole show brings, you know, and it's just loads of people who've had incredible experiences in show business from the northeast, all just coming back together for one day, and just celebrating like northeast talent. You know, it's like what better way and raising money for new talent coming through. It's like a perfect concept of yeah. of just putting something back into to where you came from. Um, 
So I love that. It's always great fun. It's always just a great day of just everybody kind of watching each other and then getting up there. You kind of feel like you're you're a part of the most like um, glamorous um, like variety show. It's really strange. Like everybody just sits and watches each other and goes, "Oh, it's my turn," you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's um, I always love it. It's great fun, and obviously, again, that was one of the last things I did that two weeks before we went into lockdown that yeah. was one of the last so how did how strange to to be in newcastle arena it was sold out um two shows um like nearly ten thousand people both shows mm. and within two weeks later everything was shut you know it's crazy to think that that was one of the last things where people were jam-packed into a venue like that you know so yeah. i can't wait to see that come back as well oh definitely definitely so i'm not from the northeast originally i'm from the midlands i'm from shrewsbury and my parents came up because i was like I'm, I'm doing sunday for sammy and they'd never heard of it and they were because obviously why would they they're, they're right the way down in the midlands yeah. and i said you need to come up and see this it's incredible it's at the arena and stuff and they did it and then obviously with it being the northeast and it's all northeast entertainers and stuff it is, there's a lot of local jokes to it. So if you're from, oh, yeah, from the yeah. outside area, they don't quite get it. So I came out and I saw my parents and I said, what did you think? And uh, my dad said, well, I was laughing at the accents. Do you know? I went, oh, thanks, dad. At least you enjoyed it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of old school Geordie humour as well. Yeah. It's like old school Geordie humour. So, um, yeah, it's a, but it's a great day. And it's, 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 you know, it's a bit of a, it's like an institution up here. Everybody knows what it is. Um, so when you're asked to be a part of it, it's like you've been accepted by the Geordie legends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it is. It is. You do go. And it is so weird because if, you, if, you're not, if you're not in that sort of circuit, as you say, everyone comes together on one day. And I'm sat there thinking, well, I'm kind of a plastic Geordie here. I'm just sat here looking around and you go... God, Tim Healy's over there. You know, I can see Tim Healy. Uh, oh, Johnny Vegas is over there. Jimmy Neal's just walked past me. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> it's always great. And I always love, one of my favourite bits as well is, is is Johnny Vegas just being there is yeah. is the most entertaining thing. because You never know man, what's going to happen with Johnny, do you? Oh, never. God. I, honestly, I think that man is brilliant. He's so funny. <laughs> You've won numerous awards, have been nominated for numerous awards as well. Joe, you've had uh, the Virgin Media Award for Best Act uh, of Reality TV fame, and you've also had the Variety Silver Heart um, Awards. How did it feel getting those? Yeah, it's um, it's lovely. You know, I, I, I love awards when, when they're voted for by, by the people as well. I think they're more special, which um, I know that that, that, that that Reality Act one was, they had this like ongoing vote for a long, long time. Um, so when you know that people have voted for you, it's lovely. And, uh, you know, I like I don't do I don't do anything um, charitable for for any sort of kind of reason other than I think if you've got a platform um a lot of the stuff that we do in our industry is silly. You know, it's yeah. silly. It's, it, you know, it's to entertainment people. It's supposed to be lighthearted. But if you can shine a little bit of serious light on charities and help um charity out and, and raise a bit of money using the platforms then I always try and do it you know and uh, you know much to um much to uh, I've, I've I've ended up doing some pretty horrific challenges <laughs> I've been roped into all sorts of things but um, I do enjoy doing them <laughs> I've got two more questions for you Joe first one is what's next for you well we're due to um go on tour in September 
with the on the road again live so that starts at the end of september hopefully we'll be in a place you know where we can do that i think we're we're still in we're all in kind of uncharted waters at the minute aren't we where we yeah. don't really know what's going to be allowed and not allowed so um that's been planned and ready to go for if it's allowed to go ahead and then straight into panto at the theater Royal in newcastle we start that in november um so yeah i'm looking and obviously more more recently we've got the shows at the Customs House on the 31st of July and the 1st of August. Um, so if anybody wants to come anywhere like that, go to joemccordyofficial.com. Um, <laughs> and we're keeping everybody updated there with the ever-changing scenarios that everybody's going through. <laughs> we'll put all the details in the in the description below. And I can't wait to see you in, in Panto. Me and my partner will be coming down to, to come and see you in January because I think I'm in Stan... I think I know I'm in Stanley this year. So I'm doing Beauty oh, and yeah. the Beast this year. So I will see you in January. That's when I will come down and see you. <laughs> I look forward what a senior <laughs> and my final question for you is who of your celebrity showbiz friends would you like to see on this podcast ooh um has Johnny Vegas done it yet he hasn't no get Johnny Vegas on that would be an entertaining one let's put Johnny Vegas on the list right he's on the list Joe thank you so much for giving your time up for the podcast thanks for having us great thank you so much mate i really My appreciate pleasure. it really My really pleasure. appreciate it and have a have a great shows at the customs house and as i said I, we will be coming down to see you in uh at the theater royal as well but it will be January. I, hope, I bloody hope it happens i tell oh, you yeah i just the amount of people on my feed that were like waiting and waiting to go into powerhouse at midnight on Monday and stuff like you just go, this is insane. You just, just, do you really need to go to a nightclub that desperately? Do you know? I I think there's, we're just now in a huge thing where everybody's divided. You know, I don't think, I I don't believe they should have, I think they should have kept the restrictions how they were for a little bit longer, because I think doing this is just going to, people are just ready to rebel and I'm not sure it's going to, I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong. But you know, we do have Boris Johnson in charge. So. It's like a never-ending, it's a never-ending story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Joe, thank you so, so much. Have a great rest of your day, my friend. Lovely to see you. See you later. See you later. Bye bye. The Cal Halbert Podcast. And there we go, my friends. That was my chat and chinwag with the fabulous Mr. Joe McKeldry. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please, please, please share it with all of your friends. And if you can, give us a five-star review. That really helps us out in other people finding the podcast. If you want to support us a little bit more, you absolutely can by through our Patreon page. All the details are in the description below. Join me next week for another fantastic podcast. I'll see you next time. The Cal Halbert Podcast. You've been listening to a Calvert Media production.